Y'all can talk about all these viruses, and that's good, but you can't forget the main one. It's plaguing us, but down with the colonial virus. 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 Colonial virus is why I can't live. That thing gotta go. You gotta go. We don't wanna have to deal with this virus no more. Down with the colonial virus. Down with the colonial virus. Uhuru, welcome to the People's War Radio Show. I'm Dr. Matsumela Odom. And I'm Awambi Tangu. Uhuru means freedom in Swahili, and freedom is on our minds 24 7. Our guest today is Diop Olugbala of the Black is Back Coalition. The whole world is watching and taking a stand against police murder of African people. The whole world is watching and taking a stand against the police murder of African people. Some say that reforming or defunding police departments will put a stop to this. But others argue that these murders are the logical outcome of the colonial containment of the African community designed to keep the African working class under control and available as a free, cheap, or expendable source of labor. Our whole community is on lockdown, terrorized by the police who function as an occupying army. Today, we're going to talk about the impact of heavy-handed policing in the black community that results in a disproportionate number of arrests, prosecutions, and incarcerations. I'm very excited about this because it relates to a project that I am currently coordinating, the Africans Charged Genocide Campaign of the International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement. We are employing United Nations charters and other international laws to make the case that the U.S. government is committing genocide against African people, not only by murdering Africans, but also by preventing births through the incarceration of so many of our child-rearing aged men and women. Our guest today has been directly impacted by the U.S. government policies of heavy-handed policing and has become an outspoken opponent and activist dedicated to putting an end to police containment and the unjust imprisonment of the African community. Diop Olugbala has a long history of organizing against police containment of the African community. In 2008, Diop led a contingent to a campaign rally of the then candidate Barack Obama demanding the Democratic presidential hopeful address the issues of the black community. Welcome, Diop. Diop, you have organized against police containment of the African community for many years now, from Oakland, California, to Philadelphia, to New York City, to St. Petersburg, Florida, where this People's War radio show is being produced. We'd like you to talk about Stop and Frisk, that drew so much criticism in the New York and Philadelphia areas, and let us know if it has really ended. But first, let's talk about the August 31st killing by Los Angeles Sheriff's deputies of a 29-year-old African man who was stopped while riding his bicycle for an alleged vehicle code violation and was fired upon 
15 to 20 times by these cops. When you lived in St. Petersburg, you were stopped while riding your bicycle and intervened in at least one instance where you witnessed other Africans stopped while riding their bicycles. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, it was a, you know, situation, uh, military occupation. Uh, the police are actually on my way. I just happened to be on my way from the Uhuru house, uh, you know, to somewhere. I don't know where I was going, but I was in the area of the Uhuru house, South St. Petersburg, South Side St. Petersburg, oppressed, you know, sector of our community. And, uh, you know, the police run up on me, you know, asking, demanding the CID. Uh, I challenged them. You know, and it resulted in my arrest because they claim I'm resisting arrest, et cetera. The whole thing was thrown out because, uh, you know, they didn't have, uh, you know, I wasn't doing anything, quote unquote. You know, they had no probable cause or reasonable suspicion to stop me in the first place. But uh, under stop and frisk, uh, and I know we're not talking about that as such, but under what they call stop and frisk, the police uh, have a, you know, a, a administrative, you know, right to, you know, to just stop people randomly in the streets and, uh, you know, demand ID and search them, et cetera. So uh, it's given a name because uh, some sectors of uh, the uh, well, the white world. <laughs> Uh, the white nation, uh, the white left, you know, liberal imperialism, I should say. Some sectors have criticism of uh, stop and frisk because they claim that it uh, goes against uh, the U.S. Constitution, the Fourth Amendment right, which uh, gives a so-called citizen the right to uh, to protest, uh, uh, you know, search uh, or seizure by the police uh, if it is not. Uh, a company with a probable cause of reasonable suspicion. So they say that, that stop and frisk is, a, you know, an attack on people's uh, Fourth Amendment rights, et cetera. But uh, the reality is that uh, stop and frisk uh, is as old as, uh, certainly as old as the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which ushered in a new period of colonial domination over uh, our lives, the colonial state, especially in the so-called southern states of the U.S., uh, the colonial state transformed, and uh, the shift now comes from uh, keeping the Africans on the old plantation and on the new plantation, which, of course, is the prisons. And, of course, along with that comes uh, new uh, laws that revolve around the 13th Amendment or what are intended to facilitate uh, the goal behind the 13th Amendment, which was to keep uh, the prisons uh, or African labor uh, at the command of uh, the white capitalist ruling class. And uh, so the slavery, uh, the system of slavery, which was abolished by the 13th Amendment, uh, also was resurrected by that same amendment. But the point is that stop and frisk has its origins in this period in U.S. society where now you have an uh, immense uh, African population, especially in the U.S. South, who now are being policed not by the slave owners or slave overseers and slave catchers, etc., but now the colonial state itself 
uh, in the form of the formal police as we know them today emerges in this period and uh, stop and frisk is essentially what those crackers was doing during this period uh, 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 following the freedom of African slaves where now we're getting stopped in the streets. Laws are being created to justify uh, the mass imprisonment and, and you know harassment by the police, etc. Uh, so it's important to understand that stop and frisk is uh, nothing but a continuation of the same tactic of uh, repression of the black population, which has been necessary in the United States since the, uh, the Civil War ended and, uh, and since the 13th Amendment was passed, I should say. And, you know, like you said, the, uh, you know, Africans, we get killed, you know, stopped and, and brutalized and killed and kidnapped by police uh, in all types of ways. Some of us are stopped. We're talking stop and frisk now. Uh, you know, some of us are stopped, which should be distinguished from other encounters like, you know, uh, the, the raids, like Breonna Taylor type situations where pigs kick down your door, come in shooting, blasting sonic grenades, etc. you know, killing kids, you know. So, you know, you have that form of encounter, but stop and frisk is, uh, you know, another one that you're talking about right now, which is a really important tactic for uh, U.S. colonial states. So, but the point is that it's a lot of Africans that, you know, get harassed, get stopped by the police every day. In fact, I was just uh, watching on uh, one of these news shows. They was doing a special on Stop and Frisk and c- citing some statistics in terms of the amount of uh, people who have been stopped in the most recent years. Because a lot of the data I have is pretty outdated, although I'm sure it's still accurate to the, today, but but you know, it's important to understand before I get into these statistics, which is not a lot of them, but it's important to understand that stop and frisk is a is a tactic of colonial domination by the state. You know, and, and it's necessary in a situation where the US uh economy was built on our enslavement and requires our ongoing, as you stated in the introduction, uh, our ongoing exploitation. And uh, the entire African population has to be uh, made, uh, be kept under a certain kind of control. And uh, that is what Stop and Frisk is about. Most importantly, on the question of uh, keeping guns out of the hands of black workers, uh, independent of the of the will or influence of the state. Of course, they let you carry a gun if you're going to join the imperialist army or marines and go uh, whoever wherever they send you to blow up uh, oppressed people. But, uh, you know, uh, in terms of Africans having weapons and, you know, using them in our own interests or what we perceive to be our own interests is an entirely different question. So that's always been another uh, a component of the stop and frisk issue or the police containment of the black population 
uh, where just as old as the 13th Amendment and the freedom of African, so-called uh, African slaves, was also the emergence of, you know, white nationalist uh, groups uh, uh, like the KKK uh, that uh, believe in, you know, uh, using, uh, you know, guns to uh, repress uh, the black population and to take things back to the way they used to be, et cetera. Uh, the question of, uh, you know, Africans having guns has always been a serious of serious concern for the white rulers of society and the general white population that, as we know, uh, has uh, has always uh, benefited uh, materially from the uh, oppression of African people. So, uh, you know, these forces, white people in general, are scared to death uh at, uh, by the notion of black people being armed, uh, or at least being armed in our own interests. And so uh, stop and frisk the police, what you call heavy-handed policing of the black community, is uh, the strategic response to, to the uh, potential for Africans, uh, you know, getting organized for, you know, revolutionary resistance, armed struggle, etc. And so, you know, they stop everybody. You know, they stop me. Uh, it had nothing to do with the fact that I'm Diop Olugbala, uh, you know, lead organizer for this and that. But uh, because I'm an African, uh, a colonized African in a colonized community, you know, like I said, these lumbers. Let me let me write, write off these lumbers real quick because it demonstrates it. It really illustrates how because uh, some people really don't believe it, especially the white population uh, from whom the dictatorship that the African population uh, lives, uh, you know, suffers every day, uh, white people uh, don't see it because, you know, in, in these numbers that came up in, this rate, in the TV show today kind of uh, illustrated that, say, like, for example, uh, in Chicago, an African is four times more likely to get stopped by their white counterpart. In Minneapolis, five times more likely. Philadelphia, three times more likely. I remember seeing in uh in LA it's four times more likely. And uh, uh I remember seeing or uh, reading an article about talking about San Diego and how Africans uh Moami may remember this. I believe that I tagged him on this article, but it was uh, stating how uh Africans are stopped by the police. Uh I don't know if they were talking about likelihood or how many actual times they have been stopped. But it was a very high number. I want to say it was like, you know, hundreds if not thousands of times more likely, but I forgot. Yeah, I remember it was 228 times more or uh, percentage more or something like that. I remember yeah. when you shared yeah. that with me. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's uh, the state, the presence of the state is pervasive. And it's, a you know, in, in, in our community, it's a direct response uh, to what white, the white ruling class, you know, the thinking representatives of the white ruling class uh, understand to be an inevitable, understand to be an inevitable confrontation with the the black population here. Uh, you know, the '60s they know was uh, just the beginning, and the state has really uh, organized itself around uh, the task to be prepared for another run uh, with uh, black people here. Uhuru, thanks for that, Diop. I got another question for you. This trend has continued during the coronavirus pandemic. According to ProPublica, 
which reported that black people in three of Ohio's most populous jurisdictions were at least four times as likely to be charged with violating the state's stay-at-home order as white people. They said that crowds of mostly white protesters have defied Ohio's stay-at-home order without arrest, while in several of the state's biggest jurisdictions, police departments have primarily arrested African people for violating the order. Understanding this, can you tell us how these stop-and-frisk policies inform even more than the official uh, stop-and-frisk forms of policing that exist today? Are you talking about the, the corona policies? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. basically, can you just make a connection between the corona policies and uh, just this larger uh, containment of African people? Yeah, yeah. I think one thing that's important to understand uh, recognize in this uh, situation, because, you know, like... There's, there's a saying where a broken clock can be uh, correct uh, twice a day. And uh, I think that the state's uh, well, current stance towards, you know, distancing and other precautionary member- measures around corona obviously uh, intersect with, in some ways, our own interests. Of course, you know, wearing a mask in large crowds or close crowds is in our own interest. Even on the pigs, they say you got to do it. It's in our interest as well. Uh, even on the pigs, uh, uh, is saying that uh, you have to social, you know, practice social distancing. It is. Uh, it happens to be uh, the case in terms of you know making sure that we like you know just doing the things that would make it easy for the uh, virus to be transmitted. However, uh, the fact that the police don't move this way around white people uh, is evidence that that was never the question when they moved uh, on Africans around this issue. And I think that's something that really needs uh, to be clarified as we uh, fight for a certain kind of uh, protocol as it relates to the coronavirus in our community. Because as a movement, we promote the principles of uh, responsible or socialist distancing, meaning that we don't uh, do things to facilitate the spread of the virus. Uh, in fact, we've canceled many events for the fear, uh, for such fear. Uh, so, uh, but at, even as we can uh, raise up uh, those important uh, issues or, you know, a struggle for that kind of conduct amongst our people, uh, you know, like we said, this uh, was never about the the, the, the dead virus in the first place. Uh, Africans have always been uh, targets of the state. And uh, uh, for one, the community, which is uh, least organized uh, to uh, defend itself against the uh, attacks uh, or even the way the police enforce or attempt to enforce uh, the policy around social distancing, if we're not organized, then uh, we're going to get ran over. And so this is why fundamentally we demand the removal of the withdrawal of the police because we don't need the state to tell us the importance of social distancing and wearing masks. We uh, were doing that way before uh, we understood that question uh, way before the state even uh, raised it up because uh, we have to remember the U.S. government at one point 
uh, was saying that you don't even need masks. But, you know, there's so many inconsistencies that point to the fact that we have to be in control over our own health and uh, we have to have uh, state power, meaning that uh, we have to uh, have the ability uh, to dictate uh, how the armed uh, so-called security or public safety forces in our community move, how they are trained, what their directives are, who they are, uh, you know, who gets fired, hired, uh, and how they are disciplined. Should they violate the rights of the community, of the people within the districts that they function? So uh, at the same time, genuine uh, uh, movement uh, for black community control of police, uh, a genuine uh, uh, apparatus that can uh, carry out what I just uh, laid out would have as its primary target the police, uh, city hall, uh, the U.S. government, and the colonial state. Because when you look at uh, the real crime or the source of crime and violence in our community, uh, the, the spread of distribution of drugs, uh, the uh, oppression of uh, our women, uh, violence, uh, et cetera, uh, we see the state as its origin uh, and the deprivation of our resources. So uh, uh, black community control of the police uh, has responsibility uh, to make as its primary objective uh, the arrest, uh, so to speak, of uh, the U.S. colonial state and particularly uh, the police uh, would stand, function as its uh, standing army uh, in uh, the domestically colonized uh, African community here. So, Diop, at this weekend's International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement Convention, we are holding an African-charged genocide panel. On that panel, we're going to be talking about gangs, anti-gang policies, as another way that the African community is contained by counterinsurgent policing. Generally, places like California or Chicago, Illinois, come to mind where gang injunctions, gang documentation, and gang enhancements, where any sort of gang allegation from the state can give young Africans five to 10 times the sentencing for the same offense as white. However, these forms of sentencing and policing guidelines are not only present in California, they are also in the Northeast. Can you explain how anti-gang policies are used to terrorize and contain African Puerto Rican and other colonized communities in the Northeast? Yeah, uh, you know, that's a really important question, the so-called gang injunction. But, uh, you know, what we're looking at is counterinsurgency. Uh, I'm sure we all understand. And, uh, you know, because the U.S. government, as we said earlier, has, you know, since the 1960s uh, been confronted with uh, the real or uh, the reality that uh, African, uh, the African population is going to continue to, to resist. And uh, it, it's employed a number of, uh, you know, different measures uh, to prevent, uh, you know, this from happening. One of the uh, most popular was the COINTELPRO. Uh, most people in the movement overall are most familiar with this, the COINTELPRO or the counterintelligence uh, program documents that reveal how under J. Edgar Hoover, uh, the U.S. government was mobilized under the FBI to carry out all types of uh, tactics to, uh, you know, to divide, uh, to, 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 to dismantle, uh, etc. Uh, the uh, the Black Power movement, and uh, 
uh, one of the most important tactics employed, which is not so uh, readily understood in the COINTELPRO documents, is the overall uh, uh, struggle waged by the U.S. government, uh, the counterinsurgency, the uh, orchestrated uh, uh, effort uh, to uh, uh, to undermine any type of uh, the emergence of any revolutionary organization or even ideology uh, from uh, the African working class again. And so in the periods uh, following the U.S. government's uh, military assassination of uh, uh, key leadership in our movement, such as the Panthers, and uh, uh, imprisonment of members of of, uh, of JOMO and other revolutionary organizations in the, in, in the 60s uh, following that uh, the U.S. government, uh, in addition to other things, uh, began to target the African community uh, through chemical warfare, the uh, imposition of the crack cocaine in the 80s, uh, and... Uh, uh, Along with that, the police containment. Uh, in fact, the drug economy, which the U.S. government imposed on the community, the extraction of jobs and uh, the ability to uh, live or survive in a capitalist, uh, illegal capitalist economy amongst the growing sector of the community, and that in itself was a result of policies from you know the the Ronald Reagan's, etc. You know, we don't have time to get into, but the point is that the counterinsurgency uh, really uh, was a political economy that served the, not only the economic, but also the political interests of the white ruling class. The white ruling class was confronted with the, uh, the problem of revolutionary organization reemerging and uh, also uh, maintaining its ability to expropriate resources and exploit labor from colonized, uh, oppressed workers uh, all over the world, including uh, Africans. And, and the counterinsurgency spoke to all of those questions uh, by uh, uh, taking all the jobs uh, that once existed, even in our own uh, poor communities in the urban uh, centers, uh, you know, from L.A. to Philly, uh, taking those jobs, moving them to factories, down south of the border, so uh, uh, so-called, uh, and, and uh, pumping in the same uh, black community where once there were jobs and you know, meaning of uh, ability to uh, have you know some ability to live in a legal economy. Now, a growing sector of our community deprived of the ability to eat uh, that way, and the U.S. government comes in with the crack, and uh, that in itself served the deep destabilize our community and uh, of course uh, the gang question is uh, you know tied to all of this because uh, from what I understand and the history that I, uh, I have heard and read from numerous sources especially out of LA uh, where you know the so-called gangs uh, of today the Crips the Bloods uh, they have their origins directly uh, in the Black Panther Party, in the revolution. And uh, these were forces who, uh, you know, essentially were cut off from their uh, revolutionary leadership through this counterinsurgency. And, uh, but the state still 
recognizes their potential uh, primarily due to the numbers as well as uh, the you know the the character of its membership or its 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 base you know young dynamic uh, Africans so uh, the state uh, has always been concerned about the existence of uh, these types of organizations and have in fact you know constructed uh, uh, counter uh, counterinsurgency programs to uh, to undermine the existence or the functionality of uh, such organizations uh, to the greatest extent that they can. So, Diop. yeah. Diop, I was going to um, ask you um, what the difference was between um, gang injunctions, gang enhancements, gang documentation. No, Are you able to make a distinction between those things? I'm not a lawyer, you know, but I do know that the the gang, the category of gang as it relates to criminal offenses, it's a designer law. It's, you know, it's no different than laws that the state wrote back uh, in the uh, 1870s, uh, immediately following slavery when an African, uh, you know, uh, if you were caught walking down the street, you get picked up by the police because you broke the vagrancy law. They actually wrote laws that made it illegal to you know, walk the streets if you don't have a legitimate reason for being there, and of course uh, the the ones that control the jobs, you know, uh, you know, is working with the state. Uh, so uh, you know, but these are the designer laws, you know, uh, and that's essentially what we're looking at now when we talk about gang injunction, gang enhancement, gang uh, uh, laws that revolve around the criminalization of what they would characterize as gang. Well, what the hell? Is a game, and who decides? I mean, ain't no no African is gonna uh, get you know go into a court of law. They gonna say, are you a member of this gang? Lord, if an African know that you gonna be uh, you know go to jail uh, as a consequence of how, you know how you answer that question, then you know you gonna answer the the way you gotta answer to stay out of jail. So I mean, who determines whether somebody's in a gang anyway? Just simply based on who you hang around with, who you associate with. So, you know, what we're looking at is an attack on, you know, the African uh, community uh, ability to interact with each other, to, you know, to be organized. You know, that's essentially what the uh, gang injunction is all about. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Today, our guest is Diop Olegbalu. Diop, you're the head of the Black is Back Coalition's Black Community Control of Police Working Group. What is Black Community Control of Police, and is it the same as defunding the police? Black Community Control of the Police is the demand of the African working class. Because as long as there's there's going to be U.S. police, as we've seen for the last four or five hundred years, it's going to be U.S. police brutality uh, because that's the, uh, you know, by their very nature, uh, police are violent uh, and they enforce laws that speak uh, to the uh, interests of the forces that are exploiting us. Everything, you know, I'm talking about like literally, we talk about, uh, you know, rich white people uh, who can pay uh, to have law look up any particular way. And, uh, you know, the law is never going to speak to the interests of uh, the African community. So, uh, 
you know, the point is that, uh, you know, the, the demand to defund the police is, uh, it may even had some significance 15, 20 years ago. But in the period where uh, Africans are becoming increasingly clear on uh, the fact that the police, the courts are never going to bring us justice uh, and uh, being coming increasingly aggressive in our acts of resistance against uh, the institutionalized presence of the police in our communities. And I'm referring specifically to uh, like in Minneapolis, a police precinct was burned down to the ground uh, in various cities around the country. Cop cars and police themselves are being pelted with rocks and bricks. So in a situation where the people uh, who may not even be saying uh, off the pig or the police must go, uh, their actions certainly are saying this. And the fact that this is happening uh, so much is even more evidence of the revolutionary potential of this period. And uh, this is the basis of our criticism, or part of it, uh, of our criticism of the, def the demands to defund the police. Because, again, like we said, like if we was in a period where the masses were not as active and or consistently active around uh, the question of the police brutality in our community, and, uh, uh, and, and, you know, it's important to say we were always catching hell. We was always tired of it, but uh, we never knew that it uh, occurred in such a uniform or universal fashion as we do now with, you know, of course, the advent of social media and videos. Now we're seeing things in an entirely different way. And uh, this has really contributed to a certain kind of like, you know, uh, brewing storm inside the U.S. So we first, of course, saw Ferguson and then that was actually followed by Milwaukee and Baltimore within the next year. Uh, and similarly, we are seeing uh, this uh, wave of uh, rebellion. And uh, uh, the point is that uh, uh, it's clear that the people are, are willing to go very far. And it's our responsibility as revolutionaries uh, to make it clear that uh, the demand that speaks to our deepest interests, specifically as it relates to the question of police brutality, is black community control of the police. That's why I began this response by saying that it's the demand of the African working class to defund the police. That's, I mean, you know, that's a sort of police that, uh, okay, at best, with that type of demand, you're looking at a situation where, uh, you know, okay, instead of a thousand cops, you got 950 cops, uh, you know, or even 800 cops. But uh, that is not going to change uh, the uh, the nature of the state or the police in our community. And in fact, uh, police uh, that uh, find themselves with a what they would regard as a heavier workload as a consequence of less forces or less resources would probably lead to even uh, more uh, police repression in the community. Uh, but uh, either way, uh, we know that the police repression is not going to stop until uh, black people have power. So uh, black community control of the police is the demand that we are trying to win uh, the people to. Uh, from San Diego to Minneapolis uh, to Philadelphia, we want 
to when all uh, activists that's out there in these streets uh, protesting, uh, but more importantly, uh, another really important sector of the community that a lot of people uh, don't really even, well, a lot of uh, you know political forces overlook. Uh, well, I mean, like the white left, but the point is that we got to be in, in the community, in the neighborhoods, door to door type work, uh, really uh, struggling. That's why uh, we say low cops zone. We, you know, we want liberated territory. Uh, you know, and so that's not something that's going to be won uh, at the at the protest downtown. Uh, we have to do. We have to be engaged. And a different kind of political work, which may not necessarily be as exciting as the yeah, Diop. Yeah, let me ask you about that. What is no cop zone in Philadelphia? I've seen that a lot. How can Africans organize no cop zones in their communities? Yeah, well, no cop zone is uh, you've seen it in Philadelphia. That's interesting. But uh, uh, one is uh, the slogan or the name of our newsletter is "Black Community Control of the Police." and uh, the uh, online uh, political education that we do on Thursday nights on our uh, Facebook page, uh, which is Black Community Control of the Police. But the, the term, much like uh, how uh, we say Black power matters uh, in, in, in opposition to Black Lives Matter, uh, I do believe that it's important for our work, our institutions, uh, Etc. To in some way, uh, uh, you know, uh, reflect uh, the the line uh, even in its name. And so, uh, low cop zone is uh, an articulation, a way to kind of summarize or uh, uh, reflect the demand for the withdrawal of the police from our communities. Now, in terms of how Africans can make that happen, uh, there's various uh, uh, ways in which uh, you know, that type of work can occur. And we're talking right now about fundamentally uh, building black community control of the police uh, units in uh, every neighborhood and city where we exist as an oppressed community. And uh, these working group or these units would carry out uh, certain day-to-day, week-to-week routine activity as far as distributing the newsletter, and which also contains the Know Your Rights card, uh, but also functioning as uh, the political uh, leadership in their community should there be uh, uh, a situation or an issue with the police so that, uh, in you know, where we have uh, forces or uh, units all over uh, any given city we have the ability to mobilize uh, our entire base to respond to any attacks that come down on our community or on our people in any given part of that city. Uh, you know, and so, uh, but we want to, uh, we say low cop zone uh, as an expression of our anti-colonial stance uh, to say that uh, we do not believe in uh, the police. Uh, we do not believe that they have a legitimate right to uh, function in our community and this organization and everything we put out is uh, part of an organized effort to achieve that reality. You have a very dynamic information and education campaign associated with that, which includes the publication of a newsletter and a new political education series, which you just mentioned. 
Can you explain them to us? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, like I said, uh, the lose letter is called Low Cop Zone. And uh, this is really interesting because, uh, and I don't know what you meant, Monsamella, when you said that you've seen it a lot in Philly, but they, like, if you go to hashtag Low Cop Zone, you're going to find a lot of stuff, like white left anarchist type stuff. Because uh, in a certain way, the low cop zone thing intersects with the police abolitionist thing or the anarchist thing, which is, you know, anarchists are opposed to the state. But the thing is that uh, as socialists, uh, we, uh, uh, our criticism of anarchism is that it would, essentially it would attack the socialist state. If we was to, you know, somehow without organizing our own dual and contending state power right now, which is what we believe must occur. But, uh, you know, the point is that if we was able to destroy the colonial state tomorrow, the anarchists, at least in terms of their theoretical, uh, you know, orientation, they would, they would attack, they would be opposed to the socialist state because anarchism is opposed to the state period. So we would have some real struggles when we talk about organizing socialist kind of economy and society as far as, you know, with the socialists, I mean, with the anarchists at some point. Uh, that may change, you know, their views and, you know, you know some kind of, our, our movement may be so powerful that nobody, you know, become a problem. But anyway, the low cap zone is, uh, is, is a mantra of a lot of those types of forces. And they was putting that shit out way before uh, I was, you know, and I never knew about them until I I just looked up with what is hashtag no cops on bread. I feel pretty strongly about this particular name because it it you know it articulates our politics. It really does. Low low cops on. Since the murder of George Floyd, we have seen a surge in African revolutionary activities. Are you optimistic about the future of the revolutionary struggle? And is there anything else you would like our listeners to hear? I think that the future is uh, very bright. I mean, <laughs> you look not only in terms of what's happening around the country uh, with the, uh, I mean, every time you turn around, I'm starting to wake up eagerly uh, anticipating news. I mean, this is just a really exciting uh, period to see the masses rise up like this and that's not even including what we see uh, happening around the world. You know, this is just a really uh, exciting time. You see uh, the un the relentless uh, stance of the heroic uh, Cuban people, uh, the Cuban Revolution, that has uh, determined that uh, the U.S. Uh, the Yankees is never going to set foot on this soil again, and uh, the the people of Venezuela who uh, even after uh, their leadership, Hugo Chavez was assassinated and uh, uh, after this, uh, all types of attempts uh, on the part of uh, the U.S. government uh, to undermine the Venezuelan economy, uh, to turn the people on its government, uh, they have stood their ground. Uh, I mean, it's just, you know, we're seeing that people are just not scared no more. You know what I mean? The people are not scared of imperialism. Uh, or anything that it's prepared to do. So uh, uh, we just got to go out here, uh, bold, you know, bold as we always do, uh, and, you know, really live these politics, uh, carry out 
no cap zone. Uh, you know, take take a stance, uh, however uh, basic it may be. Uh, even if it's about distributing the know your rights card and you know just questioning uh, what the cops have been doing in your community for so long, and you know you're gonna you're gonna it's gonna spread like a virus. But this time it's a good one. So uh, our black community control of the police. You can uh, join us by going to our website, blackisbackcoalition.org, and there's a tab that enables you to join. Of course, we have the march coming up uh, in November. So on uh, uh, November 7th and 8th, 6th, 7th and 8th, uh, the Black is Back Coalition will be uh, leading a march on the White House. Uh, The theme of the march is uh, Black Power Matters, down with colonialism, black community, control of the police. And uh, this is going to be a really important political mobilization. And we have to win uh, all the honest forces that we can find in all the struggles that uh, we are uh, intervening in and experiencing. Uh, we have to have the ability to uh, to win the people uh, to join uh, our movement uh, in this process. To learn more about Afghan's Charge Genocide and the other campaigns of the International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement, tune in to the convention this weekend. To register for the convention, you can go to npdum2020.eventbrite.com. That's inpdum2020.eventbrite.com. On Friday, we will have a revolutionary culture night. There will also be an award ceremony to recognize the hard work our people have put in over the last year. Then on Saturday, we will have groundbreaking panel discussions such as the African Stars Genocide Panel and the Reparations Panel with speakers from around the world and topics on security, self-defense, and fighting to have black community control of the police. Fist up, fight back. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 in St. Petersburg, Florida. WBPU is a project of the African People's Education and Defense Fund, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to defend the human and civil rights of the African community and address the grave disparities faced by African people in education, healthcare, and economic development. For more information on the African People's Education and Defense Fund, visit apedf.org. Episodes of the People's War Radio Show are available on the Black Power Talks podcast on wubp.podbean.com. For updates and resources to fight the coronavirus or to volunteer with Project Black Unc, visit developmentforafrica.org. We'd like to thank our guests. Diop Olegbala for joining us today. We would also like to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. The colonial virus is why I'm poor. The colonial virus keeps me at war. The colonial virus, yo, that thing gotta go. We don't wanna have to deal with this virus no more. So we say down with the colonial virus. Down with the 
COVID-19. That's colonial virus. Ebola disease. That's colonial virus. HIV. That's colonial virus. Jovenel Moyes. That's colonial virus. Domestic violence. That's colonial virus. Sexual violence, that's colonial virus. Horizontal violence, that's colonial virus. State violence, that's colonial virus. Gentrification, that's colonial virus. Mass incarceration, that's colonial virus. Deportation, that's colonial virus. The need for constant inebriation, y'all, that's colonial virus. Attacks on black women, that's colonial virus. Attacks on black men, that's colonial virus. Attacks on black children, that's colonial virus. We can't take no more of this colonial virus. We say down with the colonial virus. Down with the colonial